All right. Want to go ahead and read the thing for us? Yeah. You in the mood for a ghost story tonight, Ella? Always, Greg. All Always. right. Ghost ships are a source of fascination for many people. The sea is huge, dark, and mysterious, with lost steel and wooden hulks emerging from the mists and retreating back where they came from without a single soul on board. Today's episode will focus on two such ships, both lost in the Arctic sea ice a continent and a century apart. One of these ships was a former warship-turned-exploration vessel headed by a crew of brave people trying to traverse the Northwest Passage in the Canadian Arctic in the early 1800s. The other was a simple cargo steamer, trading pelts along the north coast of Canada and Alaska in the early 1900s. Both ships were abandoned in Arctic pack ice. One's entire crew survived, the other's entire crew perished. Both ships disappeared, only to be sighted again miles away from where they were supposed to be, dragged by the tides, the ice, and the ghosts of the sea. On this episode of Relative Disasters, a double whammy of two Arctic ghost ships, the HMS Terror and the SS Bechimo. Spooky. <laughs> Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, Pack Ice Clearance Specialist for Relative Disasters Shipping Interests Worldwide. And I'm his sister, Ella, Northwest Passage Cartographer for the Relative Disasters Company. Uh, thank you for that terrifying story. I am so afraid of ghost ships. I'm afraid of them and fascinated by them. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It totally makes sense because there's just this this imagery around ghost ships, right? Like they're just floating out in the water and there's nobody on them. And it, uh, there's so much creepy and fascinating and cool about them. Yes. They're super haunted. They're super haunted and they're great. And I love them. Okay. At the outset... While the HMS Terror was part of the doomed and disastrous Franklin expedition, we won't be focused on that ill-fated voyage as much as what happened to the ship afterwards. The Franklin expedition, frankly, deserves its own episode. Um, was that an American expedition? That was a Canadian expedition to try to, uh, well, British, I suppose, at the time, to try to punch through the Northwest Passage. And uh, it did not go as planned, and everybody <laughs> it died. It never does. <laughs> yep. Uh, so for this episode's background, we get to talk about the Arctic Ocean. We never get to talk about the Arctic Ocean. Um, and, you know, I feel like it deserves talking about because it, it is does. a very interesting ocean. It is an incredibly cool ocean. Uh, it is the smallest of our planet's oceans and the shallowest. Um well, it is mm -hmm. defined as an ocean, some oceanographers prefer to designate it as the Arctic Mediterranean Sea, uh, but we're going to stick sorry. with... I know. The what? I That's know. so confusing. <laughs> because, of, because the Arctic sort of is... If you look at the Earth sort of right down the North Pole, mm -hmm. it's this huge body of water that's between, you know, Greenland, Canada... Siberia and 
northern Europe. And so mm -hmm. some oceanographers designate it as the Arctic Mediterranean Sea, but we're going to stick with ocean for this episode. So sure. during the year, the Arctic Ocean is almost completely covered with sea ice, with only brief periods of limited passability in the warmest of summer months, when the midnight sun's continuous daylight will uh, raise temperatures up to a balmy zero degrees Celsius, 32 degrees Ooh. Fahrenheit. Yep. Bring your swimsuit, am I right? Uh-huh. Uh, swimsuit, lots of sunscreen because you can get mm -hmm. sunburned. Um, and don't go diving because the pack ice can settle over you and you won't have a way oh. back up. Oh, pack that's ice, unsettling. Pack ice is terrifying. Uh, during the rest of the year, however, uh, quickly freezing pack ice will slow, trap, and destroy vessels that attempt to navigate it. Fun. Oh, so much fun. Uh, there's one instance, one of these ships was literally driven up the side of a cliff 12 meters by pack ice. This stuff is Yeah, it's powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. So, let's talk about the phenomenon of pack ice. So, Please. drift ice is sea ice that's not attached to anything, like a shore or a shoal or anything like that. Uh, mm -hmm. It just sort of drifts around the ocean with the currents, tides, and winds. When they smash into each other, they break up and then sort of fuse together, forming pack ice. Uh, because of the way that salt water freezes, especially because the Arctic Ocean is actually has less salinity than the other oceans. Um, really? Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, um, the the pack ice can form really kind of quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. You can see some really cool, like, uh, videos on YouTube or other video sharing sites where you can watch an ice-clearing vessel grind its way through ice, and in the trail behind it, sort of in its wake, you can see the pack ice almost starting to, like, freeze up over itself again. It's <laughs> really cool stuff. There's um, no way out. Yep, exactly. Uh, so... When they smash, when they when they get all fused up, uh, they can even overtake vessels trying to sail in those waters. And without mm -hmm. a dedicated icebreaker ship, and sometimes even with one, those ships are stuck until the ice can break up again, which can take months or years. So, well, that's uh, great. Yeah, pack ice is kind of terrifying. Uh, it, it's it's absolutely fascinating from a you know, look at the cool science sort of way. But the mm -hmm. idea of like falling off a ship and having ice close in over your head. Yeah, just, that's not cool. No, thank you. No, -uh. it's not cool. Not, that's not, why when I die, I always bring a plugged in hair dryer with me. Just yes. in case of the pack ice. Well, that's just safety. That's just good safety. Yeah. I mean, when you're as paranoid as we are, <laughs> you go above and beyond. I'm just imagining a diver with with a little hair dryer. Anyway, okay. Uh, what what is wrong with that picture? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely Thank nothing. You. You'll be completely you. fine, and you've got a handy way to like find your way back up to the surface if you get turned around. You can just you just follow, follow the, cord. the cord. Yep. There yeah. It is. As long as you have a good extension cord, like it's, you know, it's double safety is what it is. It's all possible. Yeah. Uh. So the HMS Terror was a ship built in 1813 for the British Royal Navy to be used as a bombing vessel. Uh, she was extra reinforced to carry the weight of the heavy guns that were deployed on her. So 
Uh, when the War of 1812 was over, she was eventually repurposed as an exploration vessel. Got to get your money's worth, am I right? Well, you've got to repurpose those warships in peacetime. And what better way in the 1800s than by sending them out on exploration missions? So she carried out uh, two previous cold water expeditions. She Mm -hmm. explored the Arctic in 1836 through 1837 and the Antarctic from 1839 to 1843. So uh, she was used to going in the cold water. She had a lot of crew that were good with how to navigate things. But mm-hmm. in 1845, she and another ship named the Erebus were pressed into service for Sir John Franklin's attempt to force the Northwest Passage, which was a voyage that ended in disaster and death for everyone involved. Um, so there were no survivors from that expedition? Absolutely none. Um, the... Like I said, we should really cover this in another episode, but yeah, it, it's it's everybody died and everybody died a bad death. Um, the Northwest Great. Passage was a, at the time, theoretical idea of how to get mm-hmm. sort of around the north coast of Canada to basically Europe. And uh, whichever shipping company could figure that out could bypass all of the, you know, other main shipping routes and get things there hopefully faster and cheaper the only problem Mm -hmm. is as we just discussed sailing through the arctic is extremely difficult so the theory was there was this channel of open water that was open all the time or it could be used in the warmer months or yes it was it was the the, the the theory was that there was a way to get through the northwest passage um and it would it would later be figured out a uh i want to say it was a norwegian ship but mm-hmm. but you know don't don't at me listeners because I I didn't bother looking that one up, <laughs> um, but I I believe it was well another ship did successfully navigate it years and years after uh, the Franklin expedition, but mm-hmm. the whole point was to try to find a way through it and it's sort of like wandering through a maze blindfolded and the maze can kill you, so because there's just a lot awesome. of islands and shoals and land masses and ice up there and it's right. much more difficult than just Look for open water and go. So both the Terror and the Erebus were lost, last being seen in August of 1845. Over the next 150 years, repeated expeditions would try to locate the ships and figure out what happened to their crews. In 2014, the destroyed remains of the Erebus were located on the bottom of Wilmot and Crampton Bay, which is on the western coast of the Adelaide Peninsula in Nunavut, Canada. Um, See, how do you, who is up there looking for shipwrecks in water that is minus 20 degrees? (laughs) At the, the bottom of the ocean. The Parks Canada Service are looking for it because so, what it allows you to do is if you can establish mm-hmm. provenance, one, uh, you can establish ownership over whatever was on the ship. Mm-hmm. And two, you can sort of claim a little bit more of the Arctic, which is kind of a big deal. So what uh, was on the ship that was so valuable? Or was it more about claiming the Arctic? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what was on the ship that you would really want other than like historical artifacts, but what were they, what were they doing? You said they were trading pelts. Not, no, 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 no. These were the exploration vessels. These exploration vessels were simply trying to get through the Northwest passage. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. 
So it was assumed that the ships had been wrecked together, but Mm -hmm. two years later, the HMS Terror would be found, fittingly, in Terror Bay on the southern coast of King William Island in Nunavut, about a hundred or so kilometers away from where they assumed it would be. Can I just say? Yes. I do not like the idea of a body of water being called Terror Bay. It's actually named after the HMS Terror. I don't like the idea of a ship being named Terror either, if we want to split hairs here. It's I, think, just, I feel I, like it's not a good name. you got to remember it started out as a warship, so I think it's meant to, you know, like strike fear in the hearts of, of the people at the, you know. But it was against. rebranded. Well, they should have rebranded it for exploration. I mean, it should have been, right? you know. The, the terribly interesting. Yes. The Right? Or the terribly scientific. Yes. Not the terrible explorer, because... <laughs> That's just asking for it. I'm sorry. If you name a ship that, you're just cursing it. (laughs) No two ways around it. It's like that guy who named his uh, boat the Titanic 2. Don't don't do that. That's asking for trouble. All right. So you never want to call your ship unsinkable and you never, ever (laughs) want to name it after a ship that has already sunk and killed a lot of people. Don't tempt the sea gods, listeners. This is what we're trying to teach. If you learn nothing else from this podcast, it is don't carry a hairdryer with you at all times and don't tempt the sea gods. That is our lesson for you today. So I want to talk for a moment about the native residents of the Nunavut region. Um, Mm -hmm. These would be the people known as the Inuit. Inuit is an autonym for a large subgroup of different First Nations people who settled in the Arctic and subarctic regions of Greenland, Canada, and Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, They share a mostly common language that dialectically has some differentiations. Uh, Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, legally, the Inuit people of Greenland are considered to be Danish citizens and are citizens of the European Union uh, after uh, Greenland withdrew from the European communities in 1985. So that's just a neat little factoid slid in there. Mm -hmm. But the Inuit have been living in this region of the world for a very long time, and they are really, really good at finding... Uh, these ghost ships, you'll, they factor into both of our stories today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the terror had been found by the local Inuit many, many times over the years, and they had reported it to Parks Canada officials who mm-hmm. largely ignored them. Uh, <laughs> they were searching in a different bay, and when they finally did listen to the locals, it took them only two and a half hours to find the ship after looking <laughs> oh. for it for nearly 70 years. Now so that's just you know, embarrassing. It's embarrassing a little bit. <laughs> uh, and interestingly enough, when they found the terror, they were shocked by how different it was from the Erebus. So the Erebus mm-hmm. was a wreck. It was a shipwreck. The deck was destroyed. The body was mangled. The terror was almost completely intact with only some ah. interior spaces that were like a few interior spaces damaged by its long underwater sleep. But other than that, in good, uh, in very good condition. So this is where we get into the ghost ship part of this story here. So 
The terror sunk in pack ice. It didn't travel mm-hmm. the sea like most ghost ships. So what makes it a ghost ship? It has to do with how the tra- terror traveled after its death. So, since the late 1800s, sightings of the terror had persisted, but not in the normal ghost ship sighting way. Instead of travelers spotting a derelict ship floating through the mists of the ocean, the terror had been may have been rising and falling in Terror Bay. The Inuit people had spotted its mast jutting out of the ice on several separate occasions, only to Mm -hmm. have it disappear back under the ice the next time they passed by. The best theory for this is that um, it was, it had to do with the uh, cold water sort of pushing because the the vessel was still in such good condition, kind of pushing it up a little bit Mm -hmm. so that the mast would break the surface. The ice would freeze around the mast and sort of hold it there. And then as soon as things thawed, it would sink again. So my understanding is once a ship sinks, it stays sunk. Yeah. It stays on the bottom of the ocean. Is that not correct? How Um, is it? How is it like popping up? Yeah, we don't know. Beyond unsettling. Okay. Um, The other theory is that there may have been a uh, a water dragon or spirit of some kind raising it up as it slept. But these are just, you know, we're just, these are theories. How uh, shallow is this bay or how deep? Uh, Could it have that, been just resting on the water, like on the bottom and the water was going in and out? So that was my first, like that was my first, uh, my first thought, but mm-hmm. it's about 80 feet down. Oh, okay. Well, that's. <laughs> yeah, no. None of it makes That's, sense. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, the ship was also nowhere near where it should have been. Uh, mm-hmm. It was abandoned, like I said, a hundred or so kilometers away from uh, where where it actually wound up. And when they found it, was that uh, the the anchor was not deployed. So a couple of theories hmm. around this one were that. There may have been an attempt to reboard and sail the Terror after its initial crew abandoned it, and that's how it wound up in Terror Bay instead of its assumed resting place in Cambridge Bay. The mm-hmm. um, because the ship's anchor was not deployed, it gives the impression that it may have might have been sailed after somehow being freed from the pack ice, only to be caught up again and finally sunk. However. Mm-hmm. There is the slight possibility that the anchor may not have been deployed when it was initially caught in the ice. And then after being abandoned, it broke free and floated to its final resting place. The remarkably preserved condition of the ship is also really striking. One of the recoverers... Yeah, what do they think caused that? Uh, well, the best guesses have to do with the fact that it's a, you know, it's it's obviously very cold. There's not going to be much natural rot happening there. The, oh, now you're going to tell me it's cold in the Arctic? <laughs> I'm I'm really sorry to have to blow your mind like this, uh, but I'm but, gonna need to lie down for a minute. Yeah, this take take much. a moment. Take a moment. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Uh, <laughs> the, the so it's like mummified. So the, well, the it's cold, so cold. It's just like frozen solid. The cold definitely helped preserve it, um, mm-hmm. and it didn't rust as much as they they assumed it would, and it it probably wasn't as badly damaged by the pack ice as the uh, the Erebus had been. So, That's because, so wild to me. Because pack ice can, like, form and put so much pressure on a ship, it can, it can like, break through ship walls and crack a ship and cause it to go mm-hmm. under. Um, it may have just 
not. That's the thing. We just don't know um, because nobody survived to tell us. Uh, the quote I really enjoyed was that one of the recoverers was quoted as saying that if they could have raised it, he wouldn't have been at all surprised if she were still able to sail. It's, oh, it's no. that well preserved. Um, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, so at some point, whether under a skeleton crew or its own power in the mid to late mm-hmm. 1800s, the terror drift drifted ghost-like past the coast of Nunavut. And then, according to the Inuit people that uh, witnessed it, sank and rose again, finally disappearing beneath the waves sometime in... Anywhere from the early to the mid-1900s. She is still on the floor of Terror Bay, her her deck and masts eerily intact, preserved by cold waters and the winds of fate, where she is currently being studied by Parks Canada scientists. How are they studying it? Are they just like going down in a submersible? Yep. They have a really cool, very high-tech submersible, which was how they found it in the first place. And they have sent down divers, but Mm -hmm. the, uh, the current sort of exploration of it has been put on hold thanks uh to as with many things covid so wait covid is ruining ghost ships as well <laughs> covid is ruining ghost ship exploration as well and and thanks covid thanks covid all right now we come to the second of our ghost ships the ss Bechimo. Okay. Uh, just before we get started, is yeah. this one scarier than the other one? Because the other one is going to give me nightmares. I love the Bechimo. It's so cool. Um, as far as scary okay. goes, yes, because it seems to be cursed as well. So, Fantastic. The Bechimo began life as the SS Angermanelfen, a <laughs> ship that was built in Sweden. Uh, Swedish listeners, how did we do? <laughs> uh, terribly, and thank you. Uh it was built in Sweden. It was owned by a German company. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was part of a shipping reparations package after the First World War, eventually oh, ending up in the ownership of the Hudson Bay Company and being rechristened the Bay Chimo. I may also be pronouncing that right wrong. It might be the Bekimo or the Bekaimo or the Bechimo or I don't know. Is but that I'm a German say, name? I'm going to say Bechimo. I have no idea. I don't. I, I could not trace the provenance of the name. Uh, but the Bechimo plied the waters of the northern coast of Canada, stopping at trading posts to trade pelts and other goods. Got to remember, pelt trading was huge business. Um, Especially in the Hudson Bay Company, Greg. Exactly. It's sort of what they did. Uh, <laughs> on little Oct- side gig they had going on. Little side gig, yep. yep. <laughs> the, uh, the Dutch East India Company sold a little bit of tea. You know, just a <laughs> On October 1st, 1931... She became trapped in pack ice. The crew left the ship to take shelter in a town about half a half a mile away, uh, the town Excellent. of Barrow. Uh, when they returned two days later, the ship had broken free, so they reboarded. And uh, on October eighth, though, she became completely stuck in the ice, with no chance of getting her free. And the Hudson Bay Company sent some planes to pick up the crew. Some of the crew elected to stay behind to monitor the ship. Uh, they set up, uh, they built a shelter and mm-hmm. kept watch on it. Now, at the end of mm-hmm. November, a huge blizzard struck. And when the storm cleared, the ship was gone. The skipper concluded that the damage from the storm must have broken up the ship and sunk it. But mm-hmm. 
a passing Inuit hunter told them, oh, your ship? Yeah, I just saw it about 72 kilometers away from where you are. <laughs> Dude, you have got to set the parking brake on those things. <laughs> so about 45 miles from where it was over the course oh, of wow. the storm, the mm -hmm. ship had sailed along the coast. The crew managed to track it down. Uh, so this 15-person crew followed it along the coast, managed to get back on board, and figured... <gasps> oh, boy. <laughs> well, they just figured that it, it was kind of a wreck. It's not going to survive the winter. They mm -hmm. retrieved the most valuable pelts from it, and then they officially declared it abandoned and lost. Um, okay. When the ship disappeared from the view of the coast, it seemed that they had been correct, that she had been broken up by the ice and sunk. But she hadn't. <laughs> No. So in 1932, she was spotted mm -hmm. floating off the coast near Wainwright, Alaska. Mm -hmm. In 1933, the crew of the trading vessel, the MS Trader, discovered and <laughs> boarded her. Uh, I know. Oh, fantastic no. name. Yep. They boarded her. Uh, no, you don't do that. Their intent was to try to salvage or tow her. But the problem mm -hmm. was, was uh, they were on a ship that was way too small to actually tow this thing. And they couldn't salvage what was on there because they they didn't really recognize, like, a lot of the equipment that was on there. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, they meant to take one piece of equipment and they accidentally took another piece instead. Uh, and okay, then they were forced... sidebar. Yeah. Can we sidebar for a second? Absolutely. As we know from watching the Juliana Margulies documentary Ghost Ship. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't board a ghost ship, guys. You, you just want to be real careful about it. You want to have a lot of sage. You want to maybe sprinkle some salt. Uh, it's, Don't get it's anywhere near not... piano wire. <laughs> generally not a great idea. Uh, so they, they took some of the stuff off of it that they could find. Um, mm -hmm. But they were Was forced... it cursed, though? Nope. But they were forced to abandon her again uh, when a, a storm started to come up uh however one of the cool things that they managed to salvage from the ship was an ethnographic collection of artifacts belonging to the copper inuit people so cool. that was neat uh there's some really cool stuff that's in a museum collection now uh so in march of 1933 she was found again by a group of inupiat kayakers um, still afloat or in the ice it's still afloat and oh they boarded her no, uh, because you've got, hey, man, free ship. Why not? Uh, it, it was it was sort of from the impression that I get from what I was reading about it was they were just sort of like, hey, this is neat. Let's see what it's all about. Uh, they get on board and mm -hmm. a freak sea blizzard blew up and they were forced no. to shelter on the derelict for 10 days before they could Aww. escape. Can you yep. imagine being on a ghost ship in the middle of a blizzard for 10 days? Yeah, and your ride home is a kayak. You really yep. can't leave. No. No. Yeah, that's not that's not great. They were able to escape safely. And Excellent. The Bechimo drifted around the Alaskan coast for a decade until 1939, mm -hmm. uh, when a concerted effort to find and salvage her... Uh, found her however they had to abandon the salvage operation when another freak storm and quote aggressive ice flows end quote <laughs> oh uh, no they can be aggressive too oh yeah 
they threatened the salvage team and the salvage team had to withdraw because they, they would have just gotten their own ship destroyed. Uh, yeah. When they were able to return to where she had been, she <laughs> was gone again. Um, now, their best guess was that she had probably been scuttled in the storm. The Second World War came and went, shipping lanes around the area, never saw her at all. And then just <laughs> as she was sort of passing out a memory of like, huh, this is weird. For eight years, this ship sort of floated around. In 1962, mm. 31 years after she'd been abandoned, she was spotted again sailing silently through the Beaufort Sea, sharing the border between the uh, Yukon Territories and Alaska. In 1969, she was spotted again by a group of Inuit. Uh, this time she was trapped in pack ice near the Chuchki Sea that's between Alaska and Siberia. Mm -hmm. And this was the last confirmed sighting of her. You know she's still floating around out there. Well, it's more than likely that the Bechimo <laughs> has been broken up by the ice and now is somewhere at the bottom of the frigid Arctic. However... Is it? Because 30 years is a long time to just float around getting frozen and unfrozen and uh, so right? forth. And then still coming back for more. Getting uh, blizzarded over and over again. I'm not going to lie to you. The, the romantic in me likes to think that her steel prow is still gliding through the chilled waters of the Arctic. <laughs> you know, tantalizing frozen explorers with her mirage-like visage before disappearing over the horizon again. Nope. A, uh, a dedicated search mounted by the Alaskan government in 2008 uh, came up empty. Didn't find her at all. So it is probably likely that she's gone. But... Sure. I don't know. There's just something weird about this ship that every time somebody gets on her and tries to salvage her, a mm -hmm. massive storm blows up and, like, yeah, it's the ruins sea the attempt. She's 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 cursed by an angry storm god. I think that's what it was. Somebody made a bargain with an angry sea god. And <laughs> this, this is a is Peter Rugg situation. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what you get. <laughs> Yeah, that's really unsettling. It's it's weird, right? Like you don't have there there's no huge great explanation other than she's just somehow didn't sink, you know? Yeah, that's really unsatisfying. I I wish there was something else. I wish there was something like, well, you know, she was built out of a strange alloy that they only Balsa really... wood. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Surprisingly strong material. <laughs> And yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So, as with all good ghost ship tales, uh, some great mythology has sprung mm -hmm. up around these two ships. For example, uh, the Franklin Expedition uh, is really, it's, it's a very, um, it's really part of the Canadian sort of national identity as far as sure. like the exploration of Canadian territories goes. Uh, and so finding the terror and the Erebus again was was a really, really big deal. Should have mm -hmm. listened to the people living there, maybe, when they well, told you they'd you know. seen it. But, you know, these things happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the uh, but the Bechimo is just fascinating to me because it's it's there are as many there may be as many as 400 to a thousand ships in the Arctic Ocean that have been mm -hmm. sunk, destroyed, and lost to the waves by pack ice. Mm -hmm. So what makes this one special, right? Like, 
how did it survive for almost half a century? There's got to be something. Around. And, uh, There's got to be like some quirk of materials or design or something that makes it a little slipperier or something. Uh, apparently, she's just a bog standard tramp steamer. Like, there's nothing supposed to be special about her. She just wouldn't die. I love it. <laughs> Tell me there's a, a wild conspiracy theory. Do we have aliens or Bigfoot involved I, in here? At I all? was unable to delve into wild conspiracy theories beyond, you know, the sea gods. But I will say this. There is a very, very cool um, myth of mm-hmm. the ship of storms which is a ghost ship that is said to roam the world, helmed by a cursed captain who uh, vowed uh, in the middle of a a horrible storm, he vowed that uh, uh, before the eyes of the devil and God himself, this ship will never sink as long as I am at the helm. And it's been sailing ever since. Um, So this ship of storms has been supposedly spotted in the middle of like massive you know like cyclones and hurricanes out on the ocean and you know flying around the the seas of the world and uh i don't know i like to kind of think that maybe they upgraded eventually and they're like hey this Bechimo seems nice good crew quarters <laughs> you know lots to do we need something a little more modern we've got to upgrade folks we got to upgrade <laughs> It's like that thing oh, of the, uh, you know, the Grim Reaper puts away the scythe and gets out a lawnmower. It's like that with a ship. Yeah. I mean, we all we all love progress. We all love progress. We all love man. new technology. <laughs> uh, Don't is... love that story, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, that's it. That's, that's my two. Uh, it's not really a disaster, although they were both sort of formed in disaster. The The Franklin Expedition was definitely a disaster. And mm-hmm. uh, the last ride of the Bechimo, just because it's eerie, uh, yeah, just popping really up on spooky. people. And uh, so those are my two Arctic ghost ships for y'all. I'm uh, Thank you for indulging me and letting me do a little a little bit of a spooky time story this week. I love them. I really do. <sighs> You just like stressing me out. There's a really, really cool book uh, that was that is a good primary source for the Bechimo called mm-hmm. Bechimo Arctic Ghost Ship by Anthony <laughs> Dalton. And you know exactly what you're getting with that, don't you? Yeah, it's it's actually really, really good uh, for the history. It, it's, Do they have it's, pictures? It's very well researched. There's lots of pictures because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's 1930s. It was records were kept and easily accessible to modern writers. Uh, so it's really fascinating to talk about the, the different people who tried, you know, time and time again to try to salvage or tow the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tells, you know, much more of the full story than, than we could hear. And it's, uh, it's really what sort of uh, made me think about what else is just lurking under the waters of the <laughs> Arctic Sea. It's really cool. Really cool stuff. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Cuz cool. it's, it's cold. It's cuz it's in the Arctic. It's chilly. <laughs> it's a little it's a little chilly in the Arctic. So, well. Yeah, what do you think of that? Does this does this make your skin crawl? <laughs> uh, yes, my skin is crawling off my body right now. Yep. I am 
glad that I don't live in the Arctic. So here's the thing. Um, I actually, I didn't know that this was the term for it, but uh, thalassophobia mm-hmm. is the fear of the ocean. Fear of waves. Yeah, there's a whole subreddit. I I am, this is the thing about, I love the ocean. I love the mm-hmm. ecology of the ocean. I love listening to the ocean. I love wading in the ocean and swimming out in the ocean. I am utterly terrified of the deep ocean because mm. we do not know what's down there, man. Like, I just, uh. And so stories like this just sort of, like, get that that sort of set-your-teeth-on-edge thrill out of me because, you know, I'm scared, but I want to know more. And there is no more. No. Yeah. I love it. I mean, we're land creatures. We, we are land creatures. We don't do well underwater for extended periods of time. <laughs> no, but there's something about even venturing, like out to sea so far yeah. that you can't see land anymore it's there's the, very yeah. unsettling for many of us there's the romanticism of the open sea and then there's the reality of there's nothing under you but the kraken you know it's a thing it's a thing man. sure yeah and the ghost ships and the ghost ships do we think that the kraken are involved with either of these incidents oh that's a good question i'm not sure Could the I've... kraken have been pulling down the terror and then playing with it and then got bored and popped possibly yeah in. like a bathtub toy yeah yeah exactly no, no no i'll go with that that makes that makes enough sense to me yeah i mean could I, the kraken be steering the bechamo all around just to freak people out just like holding its <laughs> arm under it and like, underwater yeah. <laughs> look i'm gonna chase down some people <laughs> <laughs> starts running it like directly towards the shore and then turns it at the last minute ha ha I don't know, man. I, you know, it's really hard. Uh, the Kraken that live in the Arctic have never consented to be interviewed, and they're just very private people. I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think that we're going to ever get a clear answer on that one. Well, I mean, let's not judge. No, they have their absolutely. business. Absolutely. Uh, wrecking ships and playing in the pack ice. Yeah. And uh, we got to respect that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eating penguins. Eating well, polar bears. Eating polar bears, really. I've never heard of Kraken in the Antarctic. You'd think that the George One crew might have run into him, but Well, the Antarctic is deeper, it sounds like. Maybe yeah. they just have more room. Oh, that's true. That's true. Fair enough. All right. Kraken. Yeah, I'm behind that theory. Yeah. Let's go Kraken. I think it's one. much more likely than Bigfoot. Although I do love the idea of Big Feet just hopping on a ship and Steering Driving around. It around. Yeah. Is it like a like a teenage Bigfoot? Like just just joy. Yeah, like out on a joyride. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's how most Bigfoot stories get started. Yeah, I mean, that's why they're fun. Alrighty. Yeah, terrifying. Uh, won't sleep tonight. Probably won't take a bath ever again. So thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> definitely not going near the ocean. Well, I mean, why would you? Very little there. (laughs) All righty. All right. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly... You know you do. Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. 
Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Well, Greg, you kind of inspired me with your ship episodes. So oh, we're going to okay. have a shipwreck on uh, the next episode. Oh, excellent. No, it's not at all excellent. It's not excellent? Okay. Uh, <laughs> we are going to talk about the wreck of the paddle steamer General Slocum, which went down in the East River uh, early 1900s in huh. uh, New York City. Okay. You have never heard of this. I have, have never heard of this. I am Okay, going there to is be... a reason. We'll get oh. into that. But it was... <laughs> It was actually the largest loss of life oh my in God. New York State until the September 11th ta- attacks. So wow, okay. it's a real downer. Yeah, uh, it sounds it. But, and uh, it's but I'm also sure it's fascinating. super fascinating. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. <laughs>